I don't want a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number 166. I'm your host, Moto G. Pete, and with me is your other host, Swiggy. You. Coming to you from our super secret studio here in northern Colorado, where we got another one of our 300 days of sunshine that we always get here in northern Colorado. And we still don't have a replacement president for the Moto One Podcast Network studios. But I, we're, I, I might unfire the old president. So, as promised from last week on the subject of monetization, big news, we have actually started a Patreon for reals. I will put a link to it in the show notes. So if you've been waiting for this like forever, it's here. I don't know why you'd be waiting for it forever, but if you have some strange need to give us money, it shall be there. There is a $1 donation, $1 per month, which, okay, there's the level, which is, uh, which is operating on a permit. Then for $5, you're a squid. And that's where you get to buy some influence with us. You can make a suggestion for content or whatever. It's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it seriously. We're not going to guarantee that we're going to do everything you send in. But if it's not fucking dumb, we'll do it. Um, let's see here. For $10, I... I don't know. Maybe we'll do something that includes a mug or a shirt or something. I don't know. And that was, what did we call that? Oh, the accomplished writer was $10 a month. <laughs> and then 15 bucks was the, the moto slut. I don't know. I don't know what extra spiffs we're going to do for those. Maybe it's like a mug, a t-shirt and a sticker. Plus, you know, more influence with this. I, I don't know we're testing it out so send us in emails with or what you think might be appropriate things for those levels right yeah and yeah and also just keep in mind that there will be no no content you get now that you won't get that'll be gated off you will always just get the podcast this is for extra things. Oh, I think there will also be occasional raffles. So Right, but it looks like we might be getting into some things where we might be doing some product reviews. If we get free stuff, we might just raffle that off to Patreon listeners. That's a possibility. Not a guarantee. Certainly won't be happening on a regular schedule. But I imagine that'll happen a few times a year. Yeah, but in terms of what you already get, you will continue to get into the future in terms of the free podcast. Yeah, I, I don't want to do the thing that the Misfits were doing for a while with the Patreon prize pack and whatever. It just sounds like a lot of work, to be honest. Um, hold on a sec. You need 
I know you're very self-conscious about this whole Patreon thing, but you do need to find a way to discuss it without shitting on other podcasts. Okay, <laughs> I know. I, what, no, okay. We're, we're the last podcast in the universe to do this. Everyone else has done this. I'm just... I, I don't know. I There's nothing wrong with doing this. It's just that I tread very carefully in these waters. It... it it will, even if only slightly, change the nature of the content. And I want it to change the nature of the content as little as possible. Yeah. All right. We should get on to Best Worst Bike. We should, because we need to make this a quick episode. So in this episode, we'll give people a table of contents real quick. We're going to do Best Worst Bike. We're going to do maybe a little talk about New Buell. We'll see. Uh, well, actually, we're not going to do best worst bike. We're going to do worst worst bike. That's right. And we're going to do an email catch up, which I think is pretty quick. There's only like what, like four of them or something. And we're going to do MotoGP wrap up. Um, so yes, we'll do Silverstone and Aragon. All right. So with that, let's get into worst worst bike in the world this week. So every week we each pick a different motorcycle to be the best and the worst bike in the world this week. The last week we fucked it up and we did two best bikes. So now here you go. Super fun. You get two worst bikes in the world this week. We've only had to do this once before, and it's kind of fun. It's going to sound real negative, but remember, it's really just a fun way to look at a couple bikes in a way that you wouldn't normally look at them. If you own these bikes or you plan on owning them, it's going to be okay. All right. It, the, these are these the, the sites shall shift to another target next week, and we'll forget all about this. All right. So, Swigs, you have a worst bike in the world this week. Yes. And are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. And the first worst bike in the world this week is? The Harley-Davidson Street Rod. Oh, the Street Rod. So, I mean, hmm. So essentially what you need to know about this bike is that this is... Well, you do know that I picked this as a best bike in the world once, right? I do. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's super fun. This has only happened, what, two or three times before that a bike's gone both ways on it? Yeah. So what I... So the issue with this bike is that it's got that... It's the seven... It's the... Well, first of all, it's the it's the street motor, which is possibly the worst named motor of all time. The yeah. Revolution X. Yeah. It's a rough it's it's a tough one. I can understand that on like a fifty CC scooter or like some sort of electrified razor scooter. But this is well, this X, is a little too much. X is used in product branding normally to denote it's extreme or it's mysterious or 
or it's, premium or it's premium or limited in this i think it is in no way is any sort of, of those things. unknown origin of manufacturer since they claimed to be making these in india but then the india factory shut down but like they said they were mass producing them but whatever but then they also at the same time were closing american plant it's like where did this exactly come from I think it's like well, it's there like is the a Carmen San Diego of but... motorcycle engines. <laughs> <laughs> Where in the world was the Harley Street Rod made? Okay, <laughs> all right. I well, I want to recap real quick what I said nice about this bike. I didn't really say all that much nice about the bike itself, other than it was nice that Harley was making basically a standard motorcycle i said this is harley's best interpretation of a honda nighthawk basically and hey it's just sort of a thing for the masses you don't have to be a big harley bro for this and whatever and i think there was a lot of i think maybe this specific styling wasn't all that great there's something kind of a little buell um blast ish about it which isn't great but the problem was that harley just never stuck with it to figure out if it was going to work or not there was never a second version right so there is there is a there is a place in the world for this motorcycle if handled correctly but harley has not handled this bike correctly there is no way that you will ever walk into a Harley Davidson dealership with one of these on the floor, if there is one on the floor, and not get immediately upsold onto something else. Yeah. It's impossible. And again, you made a great comparison of like of this to the Nighthawk, because this is like Harley Davidson's Nighthawk, which works in a way, except that it's you know it's still sitting around that like 40 horsepower and that like 45 foot pounds of torque and it's oh i think it's more than that the horsepower isn't it this is the street rod not not the xg750 this is the street rod sort of the hot one they 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 yeah they made one that's that's bumped up there's yeah there's the street 500 the street 750 and then this is the street rod yeah well they they say that it makes like 18% more horsepower but 18% 118% of not very much is still not very much yeah it does kind of sit in between the 883 and the 1200 sportster yeah which i mean is great i mean is it no i mean for for this kind of bike and that size if you don't have all the baggage around it yeah and less weight yeah but i mean in terms of like um i mean like the social currency baggage oh yeah yeah i I mean that too yeah but like it's it's figurative and literal that right weighs less i think it's it's not right because i mean obviously like you're gonna look weird around other people who are riding budget bikes who are gonna be like you bought a harley really why and then you're going to have to deal with the Harley people on the other side who are like, that's not a real Harley. 
can you even buy these anymore? I. You know, it would be a great move, a great move and a sort of a little nod to Eric Buell. And because, you know, like what Harley, so Harley's all bragging about how the new Pan America or just the Pan America, because they're all new, is the best selling adventure bike this year. Which it may or may not be, but I mean, the sales are certainly good, but they, they, they claim that they're outselling Tenere's. They claim that they're outselling BMW GS's. Um, but that's a tough thing because there's like 14 different GS models from BMW. Yeah. Like all of them combined or just one of the, I, what, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, but it's like saying the iPhone is the best selling smartphone of all time, but like, the market is still like two thirds Android phones. Yeah, I mean it's it's like BMW and GS is kind of like Kawasaki and Ninja. It, it's right. a whole range of bikes rather than a model. But anyway, I, I'm getting a little bit off track. The point is that Harley is all of a sudden seeing success with doing very Buell things, which it resisted for so long, and now everyone's kind of going, "Oh, yeah." And I think on the, the 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 heels of this success, Harley will branch out into you know, dirt bikes again and and sport bikes and, and other things. I really think they will. They're always going to have their cruisers, but I, I don't think they need that many flavors of them anymore. I, I you know, um, but it, but remember when Buell split with Harley and. They took the last like 200 or 120 or however many it was Buell blasts that they had and they crushed them into, into cubes and <laughs> sold them for like, you know, $193 or whatever it was. Right. And they all had like serial, like they had a little tag on the side with a serial number and they were all signed by Eric. If Harley has any of these left, just as a little nod to go, ah, you were right this whole time, Harley should crush some of these into cubes and and give them (laughs) to people. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't that be a start to making amends with the public? That would be good. But anyways, so... Yeah, so my, my... my general point here is that yeah, this is this is a Harley that gives you no credit with the Harley people. You seem kind of snooty and uptight to anyone who bought a budget bike or who went and bought an old Nighthawk. I don't know. And, and, and I can't. I mean, I imagine the sales on these are okay. And they're probably selling a, quite a few of them as like ultra premium bikes wherever they're being made right now, like internationally. But it doesn't really fit anywhere for what it costs and what it does. You know, if you look at like the if you know if you're thinking like if you're looking at this as like you know forty five horsepower, forty five foot pounds of torque, which is you know okay for a big air cool for a seven fifty air cooled V twin. But if you compare that to any Japanese bike in the same category, it gets crushed. Well, except for like, I mean, like, I don't even think this is like any better than a V7. And a V7 
we'll do we'll get you so much more currency in the places where you'd like to ride a V7. Yeah, I mean, I would rather have a V7 for sure. I I really think it makes more power than that. I I thought it was like like high 50s, low 60s. But yeah, 64 horsepower. That can't be right. I I think so. I think that was all yeah. But still, it it should it should be more for something that 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 it was floated rumor to replace the Sportster line, right? That's underwhelming. The, their oh, new Sportster S concept oh. is a way better idea. Oh, maybe this is making a bit more power. Okay, yeah, it might be like sixty to the rear wheel. I mean, that's not bad. Um. Right, but, but my it, my point still stands. But again, it's still the social in between the eight eight three and the and the twelve hundred. I mean, the twelve hundred still like like seventy to the rear wheel at best. Yeah. Right, but I mean, you could do just as well with a thirty five year old Nighthawk. Oh, a Nighthawk seven fifty will do more than that. I think my old Nighthawk six fifty was. 84 horsepower at the crank. So, yeah, high 70s, 78, 79 at the rear wheel. No, no, shaft drive. It probably robbed a few more than that. But this is, again, factory, you know, brand new, right? Dino it right away. Yeah, (laughs) They'll lose some ponies over the years. But, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why, why is it this, like, this thing in between the eight, eight, that's the biggest problem with this bike. It was, well, yeah, it's better than an eight, eight, three for about the same money, but the eight, eight, three has some, some level of street cred, right? So we were saying, Oh, it's the last real Harley Davidson and the 12, the, the sports are 1200 to step up, but it's not a huge step. Like it's not a big enough gap in performance to need an intermediary step. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Well, I mean the, the other angle I would come at this bike from is that Harley has been for so long going for this very specific cruiser aesthetic where every Harley is unmistakably a Harley. And these two bike, you know, this, the, the street 500, the street 750 and the street rod are kind of like, you look at them and you're like, is that a Harley? They don't really fit with any of the other bikes in terms of aesthetic. You know, even the Pan America, kind of fits with the other cruisers in some key cosmetic aspects that makes it unmistakably a Harley. Whereas these, these including the street rod are the most generic bikes I have ever seen in my life. They are completely characterless. I agree. Yeah, that that's ultimately the the problem with it is that 
it wasn't even around long enough to establish what it was. I I know Harley was doing their best to to flat track them, and I, mixed results, I guess, with that until. But you also can't really make a flat a flat tracker unless you make it look super ultra premium or super shitty. You can't have this middle of the road like civilized flat tracker. It's got to it's got to go extreme in some direction. Yeah. I don't know. Um Uh, have you got any more thoughts, or should we move on to the next one? Uh, well, there is one other aspect of the of these bikes that we should talk about, and I mean, this really is the the Street Five Hundred, but this is another way that Harley really shot themselves in the foot, where I think they made a crucial error that seemed like it made sense at the time, and you experienced this because you went and got. Your you actually went and actually got your full license, um, on a Street Five Hundred, doing oh, the Harley yeah. Davidson MSF course. What a garbage bike! Yeah. Well, not only that, but I mean, these are still, I mean, these aren't big bikes, but they're big for the MSF course. And yeah, what they did because you. Know, when you normally go and do the MSF course, it's usually like with some some instructor who's like usually teamed up with a dealership or like a church or some other group that's like man a that community has community college, yeah. Somewhere that has a parking lot big enough that's empty on the weekends that you can lay some cones out and draw some chalk lines and set up the course. And usually they're on like TW two hundreds, GZ two fifties, you know, whatever like the tiniest, like most worthless bike is, that's not been owned, and like a dealership is just like get this out of my sight, and that you can just like store in in a shipping container somewhere nearby and pull them all out. And just do the course and they'll reliably start every time. Like, that's the kind of bike you use for this. But Harley thought, well, hey, we've got all of these Street 500s. We've now got a really small bike that we can use for the MSF. Let's use the Street 500. And, you know, all these guys are going to come in and buy big cruisers anyway. So let's put them on the Street 500. Which I think was a huge mistake. Because it just totally poisoned the entire image of the bike from the get-go with every Harley, every Harley interested person who went to HD to an HD dealer for the course. Yeah, they should have. I mean, they should have just said, "Fuck it, no, let's let's, let's keep using Suzuki's and and Yamahas and Hondas." Like, why? Let's just keep it to 250. For a long time, they were just still using old Buell Blast. That, the, the shit ton of them. Well, I think they were like Harley dealers were still using Blast until 
they got they they fit they decked them all out with Street Five Hundreds, right? But I I think it was a huge mistake because even then, if you did your test on a on a on like a TW two hundred at a Harley dealership, then you could have gotten to upgrade to oh, a yeah. Street Seven Fifty yeah, or a Street Rod. Well, that's what used to happen. Guys would people would whoever would come out of that class and they'd be like, Oh, Jeff fun playing around with those little toys. Why don't you spread your legs over a real bike now? Right. That was their whole thing. Like, Oh <laughs> yeah. I, I remember it was rough riding those stupid little things. Now you get to do, now here. You, now you're ready. You've graduated. Here you go, buddy. <laughs> you know, it, it's fucking dumb. <laughs> okay which is also crazy because like people can buy more than one bike like why it's true but anyway, we got to keep on moving so we need to move to the next worst bike here okay we ready mm-hmm. all right and the other worst bi- worst bike in the world this week is the 2022 bmw R18B Transcontinental. Or I guess it's not the R18B. It's just the R18 Transcontinental. I have never seen such a blatant ripoff in all my life. The BMW R18 Transcontinental is a Moto Guzzi California, uh, El Dorado, and MGX twenty one Flying Fortress smushed together. Oh, I found the picture now. Okay, is it not? Oh. It, ha- it has the the color scheme and the striping and the 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 chroming and all of that from the El Dorado with basically a smoothed out version of the MGX twenty one fairing, right? It, I mean, this is, I, I, I cannot believe a cease and desist order hasn't come from, from Moto Guzzi on this, right? Well, also possibly HR Geiger's uh, uh, trust is probably going to sue as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is the most derivative thing I've seen in quite a while. Not to mention, it's such backwards thinking, right? Do you remember World War Z? Is that the Brad Pitt movie? Yeah. Yeah. So remember the whole basis of this movie was that the 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 Jews were so blindsided by the Holocaust that Israel employed people to just no matter what the world the global situation to just 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 account for the most batshit crazy possibility. <laughs> yeah. And so when zombies took over, they had a zombie plan and they were the <laughs> only people that did, right? BMW let their zombie plan people put out this motorcycle. And let me explain why. So Harley Davidson has just put out the Pan America this year and is having great success with it. Why? 
Well, they lost a bunch of customers to adventure bikes. That's what people want. Adventure bikes. Or at least that's what older guys want. And they're they're kind of less into the cruisers. They they all kind of bought choppers and cruisers and they thought they were cool. And then they're like, eh, they're actually not that comfortable. The ergonomics aren't great. And I put these stupid ape hangers on there and whatever. And uh, these bikes are real big and they're... Uh, it's, I've been it's, keeping up appearances for Sturgis, mm-hmm. but honestly, I'm fed up. Right. Jack's, the Jack Sparrow look isn't in anymore. So, so Harley figured out, oh, well, what we can do is take our American credibility and we can really cut into this segment. But... For some reason, BMW's got, hey, we're the kings of the adventure bike segment. Like, we invented this shit, and we brought it over to you. But now, our new flagship is this stupid, uh, milk-toast version of this this retro-concept cruiser bike. And now we're going to make a sort of electroglide full full um full bagger not bagger um full dress version of it when even harley the kings of this segment have realized this isn't what's in right this is bmw like having a meeting and they're like well what do people love and it's like well you know people love that that gs310 people People love the 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 twelve fifty you know R S adventure, um, you know people are loving all these wacky bikes that traditionally Americans aren't into, you know. And then one guy's like, I think we should make something that's super duper boring to the American market, the same thing that they've been eating for fucking years. And not only that, we're not even going to have a weird BMW design about it. I just you know. I got a friend who works at Moto Guzzi. He gave me some of the drawings for the uh, the MGX Twenty One Flying Fortress and the Eldorado. And so I was like, "Isn't that the Guzzi they made in 2014 and then never changed?" Yeah, we figured no one's gonna notice. I, was this designed but, but, by did, an engineer who would be shocked to come over to America and come to the realization that David Hasselhoff? is not still a massive cultural icon. Right. Yeah. I seriously, if you take the fairing and the top box off of this, except for the angle of the cylinders, is it distinguishable from a Moto Guzzi Eldorado? Uh not really. Well, I mean the tank, but is yeah. the tank even that different though? I mean, they made an effort to go into a more of a teardrop shape, but, like, significantly, not really. It is, uh, this is, I mean, you want to talk, people, people love to talk about late 80s, 90s metric cruisers trying to be like Harley Davidson, that... This is trying way harder. This is way... This has no character of its own. There is nothing about this that says BMW. There is nothing about this 
that is legit. I, ugh. and then it steals. Uh, there's a couple little notes that it steals from Goldwings and Harley's like that, that, that little Chrome piece on the front of the fender there. That's kind of, that's kind of Goldwing slash Harley ish. I, but overall, the whole thing's just so fucking gross. Because again, who who do you fit in with with this? Nobody, and all of this is extra extra triple fucking dumb because it's redundant. BMW already had the K sixteen hundred. They had a fucking sixteen hundred cc. Was it inline six? Yeah. Uh, that everyone agreed was like a new Goldwing, but faster. Uh, you know, it I, it wasn't. No one said it was better than the Goldwing, but everyone agreed it was more than the new Goldwing. It had more storage. It was a little faster. Cost a little bit more. Right? Had you know, revved higher like those kinds of things had a little bit more range had a little bit more it wasn't better it wasn't more refined but it was more than the goldwing and that was kind of its deal like hey you want you want a real like iron butt rally kind of machine here's the k1600 boom and it felt it feels bmw right it's got yeah. that bmw look and feel to it yeah, I mean, why would you want this with less performance? With you know, l- l- let's look through some of the things that BMW talks about: that comfort and safety. I really, I, I don't think so. I okay, it's got cruise control. It's got, it's got rider modes, but they all have that. It's got hill start. They all these baggers have that. You know what it doesn't have that the Goldwing does. Airbag. I, I, what are you talking about? Safety is a feature of it. When it has no safety features, any of these big baggers, I, even Harley Davidsons have fucking um, hill start and shit these days. Although this does have um, a Goldwing cheater uh, reverse on it. Um, what's the uh, the the other fucking thing that they talk about? Oh, they boast a 6.3 gallon fuel tank. You know what that means to me? It gets shitty mileage. I don't know why you're boasting about how much gas you have to put in this goddamn thing. I, well, usually that means your your bike has shitty mileage unless you're a fucking hero like the Norge. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the Norge is a weird, weird beast on that <laughs> front. I, the, uh, but yeah, normally when they talk about a huge fuel capacity, that means you are getting south of 35 miles per gallon, which is just not – there's no excuse for that on a motorcycle. But Well, the only one – the one place I will uh, carve out an exception for that is on the uh, – is on the Ulysses. Because they had what they had to work with. Okay. All right. Yeah. But yeah, I. For a modern fuel injected bike, I mean, I, I guess it is still liquid. It is still air cooled, but it is a modern engine. Uh. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, they're, they're they're boasting the 29.1 inch seat heights. I, I again, I don't know why seat heights in the last couple of years have become a strong feature, but what, whatever. Um I who that's like super duper concerned about seat height is going in for a seven to 800 pound motorcycle, right? When you're not confident about your ability to balance a bike, so you prefer it to be low, why would you be going in for something so crazy heavy? So why lead with that in the advertising? I mean, I guess ultimately for every BMW that we have praised, it has always distinctly been very BMW. Yes. Every time they try and get out of their lane and try and do a Harley thing or try and do a Japanese thing, it's always a disaster. BMWs are fantastic bikes when they do BMW things. And this is decidedly not a BMW thing. Yeah, also, uh, base model, $25,000. So, I mean, that was you probably would have predicted that, but just so you know. So, here's what this bike is. It's an Indian chieftain that doesn't say Indian on it. Right? Mm-hmm. It Because it's not, it's no longer cool to have a big Harley Cruiser. And the Indians and the chieftains and the, 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 the challenger and the whatever, right? Those are kind of the cool baggers right now or the whatever. And, this is another bagger that doesn't say Harley Davidson on it, right? Because it's like, oh, I want this style of bike, but I don't want people to think I'm a Republican. Right. <laughs> and, and and the Indian badge kind of gives you that, right? Yeah. And I think this is trying to go into that territory, but I I feel like the K1600 did it better. Oh, absolutely. And again, yeah, this is not committing legacy fraud, but it's also, it's also should be suffering from imposter syndrome because it, it's a, it's like, you don't have to be a classic American brand to do a classic American styled bike. That's, that's not what I'm getting at. Because, again, Gucci did, did it with the Eldorado, and it's great. We love it. It's, it's, well, it's like it if you want a play, very specific tone. Well, it's like if you want to play American blues, you should probably know the scale. What is that? <laughs> I would say it's more like... Um, I would say it's more like... Um, the Moto Gucci is sort of... It's sort of like the movie Evil Dead 2. It's a really tough... You my attention. <laughs> it's a really tough tone to hit, right? Lots of people have tried to recreate that, that not comedy, not straight-out horror, 
like tongue in cheek kind of playful horror movie. And no one's really hit that specific tone like Sam Raimi did. Yeah. And I, even the other various versions of Evil Dead they've tried to do since then haven't quite nailed it the way that they did in that, right? And and the Gucci California does that. It just toes that line very perfectly. You know, it's like it's like being it's like hitting a bullseye or two bullseyes in a row when you're an average darts player. You know, <laughs> given enough given enough hours, you can hit it, but you're going to fuck it up plenty of time. You can't do it on demand, right? Something like the Gucci California that 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 really competent, cool, non-Harley cruiser that just gets everything right. Yeah. Like BMW here is clearly cheated, right? They they were using the uh who's that who's that YouTuber that made the um the bullseye every time darts board, right? Oh, uh, stuff made here. Is that what it is? I can't. Oh remember. no, no. Oh, you're talking about oh that was, oh, he he made the basketball hoop. You're talking about um Mark something Mark Rob, Rober. Rober. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the BMW borrowed Mark Rober's uh bullseye every time darts board to make this, right? Yeah, I mean, well, BMW is, you know, is absolutely guilty of uh, design by spreadsheet. Whereas Moto Guzzi will have some guys like walk into the office, look at like a a big like A3 drawing uh, of the bike in profile, and they'll stand there sipping their coffee. And a whole day's work may be just erasing one line and, and redrawing it a little bit differently. But BMW is kind of like, we have the formula. We, we've, we have distilled the essence of what this style is. And we can just plug it into the computer and we'll get the right result. We can't possibly be wrong. And they confidently walk into absolute disasters like this yeah not to mention that everything about this is trying to be swoopy and classic american and then there's this very angular ultra german seat on it that just doesn't look comfortable yeah I don't know what that's all about. It really betrays the rest of the bike. But again, context is everything. If this was 2006 and the the 1400 Guzzi California doesn't exist, I'd be like, BMW, going after Harley Cruiser market share. Bold move. Okay. But after Indian reboot, I... No, sorry. After Polaris buying the Indian name, after lots of other competent cruisers in this space, after after Harley goes liquid cooled, after Harley goes liquid cooled, this is this is a nonsensical move. This is the uh, four people are going to buy. You know what this is? This is like the um, the the Valkyrie Interstate. <laughs> yeah right you remember the, the valkyrie that they did up as a full bagger like a gold wing like that and like four guys bought them 
They were weird There's and our... off the mark, but I I liked the Valkyrie Interstate. Okay, but but you have but but I accept, but I also own a Futura a... and a Norge. So. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> that, that, that is a bike for a real specific breed of cats, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is not a bike for everybody, and the people that want them like covet them, and and the guys that own them are never fucking selling them. That those don't change hands all that often, or they don't change hands nearly as often as they should. It's this weird bucket list, and they can't just go, oh well, I've got a Valkyrie, and I'll just buy the part like bags to bolt onto it in a fairing. They're like, no, 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 I have to have the the model that that left the 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 showroom with all the shit on it um if you run this through a cop's computer it has to come up as valkyrie interstate right <laughs> it was interstate right um i'm pretty sure i gotta google uh, this now i hope so that's my recollection but i could be wrong yeah it was the valkyrie interstate good okay um yeah with something one of the weirdest fairings of all time. <laughs> I, yeah, there's just like people that love that motor. and Basically, it's for people that wanted a Goldwing, but also wanted it to be to have six carburetors. I don't, I don't know what that's all about, but OK, cool. I, it's a weird looking bike, but but so is this that. There's 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 shades of Valkyrie Interstate in this, but it not it's it's not the right time. It's the the timing's off. It's I can't. Uh, it's gross. It's just gross. I can't deal with it. I, well, I mean, when I saw this bike, when I saw the original concept bike at IMS, was it IMS? Uh, did we see it at AIM and IMS? It's I think been, we, I think we that concept it. bike has made the rounds. I thought we saw it at IMS in Denver. That sounds right. And you were like, "Oh, look, here's the the R18 concept." I was skeptical about this bike from the very beginning. It's like, why are we going with this crazy long stroke 1800 air cooled motor? Like, what does this get us? I and you know what? I think it was just such a cool concept bike, I, and everyone cool? knew they were going to ruin it. But it, but <laughs> we but we were like, let us dream, okay? Just let us dream. I don't know. It, it didn't seem right. I mean, I I understand like how it kind of seems like like an old like R slash seven scaled up into this crazy big like throwback premium thing but like it never gelled with me i never saw like uh, how are you actually going to sell how are you how are you actually going to package this concept like, it, it never made well, sense it was also it showed off this beautiful engine too and that's another problem that the the rt transcontinental does is it hides the engine which is what everyone was supposed to think was so cool about it I don't get it. All right, we should we should move on. Um, let's see here. What are we gonna go at next? Do we want to talk about Buell? I don't know. We're already close to an hour. Let's uh, let's, let's do skip emails. that for now. Let's yeah. do emails here. Have you got some brought up? 
Okay. Well. Um, <laughs> sure. So. Um, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say. Um, we got four of them, I think. And I didn't read any of these yet. So like the last time, neither of us are drunk. And I'm just going to have to just blurt something out in real time as a reaction. I have no preformed thoughts on these. And it was fun for me last time, although I I usually have something like an idea, a kernel of a thought of how I'm going to respond to these things. But the last time we did it, listening, listening back to, to parts of the episode for, you know, editing mistakes or anything, I just thought like, man, I just. I, I don't know. I just sound like a dick responding to these things off the cuff. So I'm a little nervous about doing this, but whatever. I'm trying to see like how many like interesting one, like how, what, what's podcast where I don't think we have that many actually. Um, shoot. What do we have here? I don't think we have any emails to, to read out. Oh no! Oh okay. Whatever. Well, uh, well, I guess. Um, Let's just go st- skip straight to GP. Uh, yeah. Let's go straight to GP. Okay. So fuck it. We'll 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 throw in whatever what's what's good of these emails with next week's, and we'll do a proper email roundup. So let's go to GP. So we have two rounds of MotoGP to cover: first Silverstone and then Aragon. So let's let's blast through these quick. <sighs> Moto three in Silverstone. I loved this race. And it was kind of a little bit of a nail biter for a lot of it, too, because we got Fanati coming out of the gates, getting did he get the whole shot? I think he I think he got the whole shot and then was cha- was he challenged for the lead? Maybe lost it for a second and then I mean Fanati was just fast. Fanati was just fast all weekend. Everyone kept saying it, yeah. And wasn't it something too that he got pole and the and they said no one in Moto three has ever won in Silverstone from pole. So and it was like everyone was going, well, Fanati's super fast here. He's his, he qualified unbelievably well. He's he's got like the most experience of anyone in there. It really seems like there's no way to fuck it up. But Fanati can find a way to fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> so it he was he was favorite to win, and with a lot of people, he was heavy favorite to win. But it wasn't it wasn't one of those races like like uh, like Mark has four years ago at Aragon, like, oh, he's just going to win. It wasn't one of those, right? Mm-hmm. So the whole race was, you know, because it's no secret that I'm a huge Romano Fanati fan, and I'm just sitting there, just just my feet tapping the whole time, like, is he going to do it? Is he going to? You know, we get down to the last three or four laps, and I'm like, I'm like, just bring it home. Just bring it home. Don't do anything crazy. And... And and he it was so satisfying for me. I I can't even remember who who made up the rest of the podium on that one. Uh, Antonelli in second, then Faja in third. Uh, uh, 
Guevara in fourth, Suzuki in fifth, and then to get to some actual like recognizable like standard front runners from sixth onward, it's Masia, Bender, Anju, Rossi, uh, uh, yeah, and then like Acosta came eleventh. Yeah, Acosta's really been slowing down. He's still got a healthy lead, but uh, I know, we'll talk about that more with with Aragon. But mm-hmm. anyway, a, a really really nice, just super impressive performance from uh, from Fanati because I I can't wait for him to get promoted to Moto Two, and then find some way to fuck it up and get demoted again. Yeah. <laughs> um okay, so remind me cuz it's been like uh 3 weeks or whatever. Uh who who won Moto 2 at Silverstone? Uh for Moto 2, Remy Gardner won it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. What was the rest of the podium? Uh second was Betsecki. Third was Navarro. Fourth was Lowe's. Fifth was Gian Antonio. And then Fernandez was sixth. Uh, then Canet. Then Vierge. Like everyone, kind of fucked this race up. Except uh, Roberts got. Oh wait, no, I'm. Wait, uh, I'm retarded. That's not the. Res- uh, no, it is. I clicked on the right thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then we got Roberts in tenth. Uh, I believe this is the race that Fernandez crashed out of. Oh yeah. So it was kind of like Fernandez crashed out and then really nobody else had anything else to fight for. It was like you know, well, everyone had everything to fight for because the only other person who's re- who's really competing with Gardner is is Raul. And not even really cuz now he's got his he's got his factory ride lined up. So He's just got to sort of bring it home now for the rest of the They're season. all racers, though. Like, they all That's true. Yeah, like, they, can't, they can't turn it no, off. No, if anything, the gloves are off now because the contracts are secured. They can oh, do right. whatever they want. Yeah, it's true. That's <laughs> true. Those two are... But they're both just so untouchable in the class as well. I this 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 whole season is just the Remy Gardner, Ralph Fernandez show. Right. Yeah. I and conti- it has been and continues to be and will be through the last rounds of this year. This this is just the I think the biggest note like the biggest thing to take away from this entire year is just how fucking good KTM has been as a talent scout. Well so what I'm thinking is Moto two right now this year is like MotoGP was like 2015, 2016 when Jorge Lorenzo or Mark Marquez were going to win every race. Once or twice, Pedrosa was going to win. Right. You know what I mean? There'd be four winners throughout the entire 18 races. Rossi, no matter what was guaranteed second or third, 
every single race. Yeah. But it was going to be Marquez or Lorenzo. Well, yeah, Rossi would win one or two. Pedrosa would win one or two. Everything else, yeah, Marquez or Lorenzo. And that was it. And it was those two factory bikes. That that was it. It was it was the Yamahas and it was the Hondas. And right now we've got the KTMs and the... Um, Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! What is it? The, um, the 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 Calyx, the the Honda Calyx. Um, it's not HRC, but it kind of is HRC. I, I always call them like Moto 2's Honda team, although there's nothing Honda in it. Um, uh, the Estrella Glacia team. Yeah. Uh, 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 what's the guy's name? Mark VDS. Oh god! I don't know why that took so long to get out. Anyway, yeah, it's Mark Vidia, and even that, it's just been what two wins from Sam Lowe's, or uh, even just one. He's been doing pretty well. Um, he's been doing fine, but you always know it's going to implode at some point. Well, he won the first two races of the year, but I don't think it's been any more races since then. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I know that Sam Lowe's is still like a world class rider. Like you, you cannot yeah. take anything away from everything that is accomplished. But at the same time, when there's still MotoGP, the next step up, it's 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 so hard to be excited about Sam Lowe's winning when he's already come back down and he's on the downswing, and realize like. This he may win a race here and there. He may get he may do well in Moto Two, but it's not going anywhere. Right. When you're looking at Moto Three and Moto Two, you're looking for the guys who are coming up. You want to see like who's gonna be like the next world champion contender. Who's gonna move up to Moto GP and really blow everyone's mind? When you see people on coming back down. It's really hard to get excited, or you know, it's the same way that like it's hard to get excited about um, about uh, oh, what's his name from Moto Three, other British rider. McPhee. It's like with McPhee. It's like, are we expecting the Moto Three rider who's been in the same category for what like five, six years? Well, he's in Moto Two now. Uh, but... Like, but yeah, but like, do you, you know? It's kind of like the guy who's been like assistant manager at McDonald's for like seven years. Like, is he gonna really? Is he gonna get his big break and move up to manager, or right. like, is is his destiny set at this point? Like, yeah. is there any room to grow? No. Yeah. So, yeah, I I almost feel like. Uh, uh, Sam Lowe's would be better hyping up some other. What is that noise? It doesn't matter. Um, it, it Sam Lowe's almost needs to do like a sort of like Tony Elias thing. Yes, right. Absolutely. Tony Elias was sort of washed up for Moto Two in a way. I mean, he was still competitive, or whatever. But he made this move to go do Moto America and really elevated. Moto America and was super happy doing it. And it's not like he was racing against total chumps because check it out. He was racing with the likes of Joe Roberts and Cameron Bobier, who are now 
right there with in, in Moto Two. It's like, I, yeah, I mean, really, we should be taking these guys who have been like on the downswing or stalled out, and then like enticing them over to AMA and just say, "Hey, can you just come shit on all of our local riders?" And then, like, provide some resistance that actually, like, creates some competition here that, like, lights a fire under everybody to really get their shit together and and compete at a top level so we can get more riders into MotoGP. Yeah, I agree. But, like, the idea of, like, sitting in a class for, like, six or seven years that's not MotoGP, like, it's... There are so many riders who are deserving of a spot in those classes. I agree. So, uh, uh, Silverstone GP. What, uh, remind me again, what were our results there? Uh, All right. So, uh, Fabio won. Oh, yeah. We got Rins in second. We got... Uh, the the most noticeable uh, notable result here is Aleish getting third on the Aprilia. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. I forgot that was the big story of the whole weekend for me is this Aprilia podium. This well, not only Aprilia's that, but his brother also got a really good result getting the um uh Pole Spagro got pole in qualifying. Yeah, he did. As well. Uh, so yeah, it was a big weekend for the Aspargos and, and good for them, but it, it's 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 just for Aprilia in general. I mean, it, it's a huge accomplishment for Alicia Spargo to get that podium on that bike. That was a big deal. And and Silverstone's a legit track. This wasn't this wasn't like you know Qatar where things don't matter, right? And everyone's. Everyone was just so stoked for him to get that podium. And and they were excited in a way more than they were like when Iannone was leading in Phillip Island on it, right? It was, I don't know. Sometimes you can just feel the whole paddock really want it. And this was one of those results. Well, it's sort of the thing, like, I mean, I've said this about the Aspargaro brothers before, which is, you know, you could put either of them on a 10 horsepower tractor and 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 they'll get you a top 10 they'll get you a top 10 or a top 15 like reliably like and that's why they're still in moto gp even without any breakout results or anything they've been here for so long but it's because they can just reliably no matter what bike you put them on they'll get some points they they will score points yeah. But, you know, well that's what makes them the greatest development riders in the history of the sport. They are they have just metronomic lap times. Yeah. That they're just super duper consistent. And weirdly that's what this doesn't really get covered in the commentary that much anymore. But I remember 5 6 years ago the commentators used to just used to Rather than just mention who's put in the hottest lap or who's just dipped into the whatevers, they used to talk about the range of lap times a lot more. 
Because it turns out you don't necessarily need to be the fastest at any given moment. You need to be the fastest over the whole race. And often, in terms of tire preservation and fuel and which mapping you're using, just being super duper consistent can win you races. I mm-hmm. That was really the secret behind the Lorenzo method, right? When he would get the whole shot and get out there in front, it was because he could run these perfect laps exactly the way he wanted without having to you know, adjust for whoever's in front of him, whoever he's on the tail on, without having to do these overpet, right? And he would put in these lap times that were so fucking consistent. You know, he wouldn't like slowly get faster, or slowly get slower. He would just just go out there. He would know exactly what pace he needed to hit, and he could just do it with no interruption. And that's why he was so good at leading races, and he would win by like, you know, 12 seconds or whatever, six seconds, it just constantly. Right. Everyone but if else's he was, game if he was second, up. If he was second by the end of the first lap, he was fucked. Right. But the Aspargros have that kind of consistency, that Lorenzo type of consistency. It's just they never get the whole shot. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they they don't have a bike capable of getting the whole shot. And they can't fucking qualify like Lorenzo qualified. He was amazing at qualifying. So yeah. Uh yeah, I I don't know. I, I was super happy to see it. And um well let's just skip straight to um uh to to Aragon uh GP because because the story kind of continues there with Alicia Spargro getting a fourth place in Aragon was that right Uh yes yeah uh, d- amazing and and the thing about that fourth place is our our race winner, our first and second place on the podium there really got way out ahead of everyone else. Like what? Six seconds ahead or something like that. Uh, it was 3.3 seconds ahead. Was that all it was? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, whatever. Well, even then Marquez was still like half a second or more behind Bagnaya. We'll get to that, but that's <laughs> also a little bit interesting. But yeah, yeah. so but uh, Alesh was at the front of the rest of the pack, right? I mean, he was a front running bike, and I, one of the com. Um, well, no, he was still um, he was still like five seconds behind Mir. Like, yeah, it but did, Mir it, just went on this this great chart. Like, uh, well, he, he did Mir things, you know he. Yeah, he got fast late in the race. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, the the point is is that um, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, uh, pit commentator. Oh, why do I struggle with his name? I... Anyway, Simon Crafar. Simon Crafar made this special point in like the last two or three laps when all these other insane things were happening, and everyone else was focused on the battle for the lead. Pretty much Simon Crayford comes in. He's like, you know, I've really just got to hand it in, you know, for, for um, the Aprilia team making this bike that can truly run with any other bike. Now, like it hasn't won yet, but we all can see that this bike can run with any other bike. Yes. It is not the worst bike anymore. I mean, it could technically still be the worst bike, but it's not definitively 
the worst bike. No, the LCR Honda is the worst bike in GP. <laughs> There's no question. I don't know. It's. I mean, apparently it's not even really resembling the uh, the factory bike, the Repsol bike anymore, because now that that Marquez is getting more into the swing of things, Han is just throwing a million experimental parts at it, and and they're doing things with the Spargo and all that, and the the LCR is just this old Honda that doesn't work. It's it's for a Marquez that doesn't even exist anymore. Right. It's, right. It's just weird and no one can ride it and it's it sucks. It doesn't have any new cool shit. It doesn't it doesn't work. It's it's uh that uh, every bike in GP is great except for those two. Uh, yeah. You can win on anything. I I mean, because what's his face on the? Um, Why do I have this reverse Ducati? crank with a non Big Bang motor with like some weird like throttle response setup? And why does this bike only work with with a hard rear tire? And yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Like... It, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Mm. Well, it, I. It's genius in the right hands, but it's only it only works if if you if your fingerprints match Mark Marquez's. Otherwise, it's insanity. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, hot take. You know, we always want to know what animal does the track look like. I'm gonna submit that the that Aragon looks a little bit like. Those little two-legged chomper creatures from Tremors. Oh, with the ass blasters. Oh no, those are the the Shriekers. Is that what they're called? The Shriekers, yeah. Yeah, they just have two legs and no arms. Yeah, that's. I think that's what the Aragon track looks like. It's a little moment of inspiration. At least the head. I mean, really, it's straight up a bottle opener, but. I guess yeah. If if it has to be an animal, then right. Uh, the the shrieker is pretty. It's pretty close. Yeah. So uh uh so we got to talk about Bagnaya winning. So Bagnaya really take Bagnaya what taking notes from taking notes from Davizioso. Yeah. What well, he was he. Davizioso to me was always a really sort of stubborn racer, and that's yeah how like Bagnaya was in this, uh, you know, because you think of Lorenzo being the super smooth guy, Rossi being you know, smooth when he needs to be and super aggressive when he needs to be, Marquez just being super aggressive all to the point of sketchiness all the time, and and yeah, Bagnaya was just sort of stubborn. And it was great. Well, I don't think he was. No, I would do it the other direction. I think he did a lot of what Davizioso was doing in terms of realizing I'm riding my race. So we should point out that um, we should really lay out what the race was, which was really a story between Bagnaya and Marquez pulling away early and never breaking away from each other. But Marquez not really having the pace to definitively overtake 
Bagnaya. Well, I, we got to like back up a little bit even further from that and set the table in that this is this race was MotoGP firing on all cylinders. This is everything that a MotoGP race could be. We're at one of the best tracks, Aragon. The, the, the Aragon's only been around since 2009 and it is like what the classic track. It is the typical the the archetypal MotoGP track. This is a track yeah. that is best for motorcycle racing. This is this is a great track because it sucks for Formula One, right? Yeah, <laughs> the, it, this is this is a wonderful track. This track exists to be a MotoGP track, and it's home track to a bunch of really high profile riders. But also, MotoGP really—I mean, you know, Silverstone's great, but MotoGP works really great when it's hot, and Aragon's always hot. Right. Yeah. And, and MotoGP is great when it's hot because you get super sticky tires going on that allow for insane things to happen early in the race and allow for insane tire degradation at the end of the race, too. So we've got we got the lineup, the cast of characters who are strong at this track. We've got the bragging rights on the line, because this is one of those tracks that even if you can't win the season, you want to win this race. I mean, it's not yeah. like it's not like oh I lost the season, but at least I won Valencia. I mean, it's not on that level, but it's this is this is like hey, it's okay. still notable. Yeah, it's, you it's, know. it's one of the last oppor- it's one of the last opportunities to get your name out there before contracts start getting signed. Right, it, it, winning Aragon raises eyebrows. So there's that. Then we have so we have all the strategy built into this race around tire life we have just again the general hype of it being this classic track and we have added throw into the mix a new race winner and marquez getting as close back to form as i've seen him yeah i haven't seen marquez's confidence up this high until now so we should talk about the fact that first of all bagnaya won which is great because I picked out Bagnaya at the beginning of this season as someone who was quietly really fast, but wasn't really getting the attention. And he hadn't really put in a race result to justify it. But he was always like second or third in some really close qualifiers and had put in incredible practice laps. And was that person who frequently had the fastest lap of the race, but didn't have the overall speed to really bring it home. He was that kind of person who was like, if just one thing clicks, he'll he'll pull this off. And yeah. he'll, be a, he'll be a title contender. And it started to click for him. So it was really about like, what, six laps towards the six laps left to go. Marquez started really attacking uh bagnaya because falling behind him the whole time and he it looked it seemed like he was faster than him but he didn't have enough speed to carry on any particular part of the track to definitively pass him and it was what was it was something like eight or nine uh passing attempts marquez did and every time 
uh, Bagnaya looked like Davizioso when he was at his prime competing with Marquez, where it was just a matter of don't react. Just stay on your line. He's going to try and stuff you, but he's trying too hard. And simply by not reacting, you can just take, you can just undertake him every single time. And he pulled it off perfectly. Oh, yeah. He, he basically was broke Marquez because Marquez kept trying that dive just a fraction of a second sooner and sooner and sooner until he just completely, or sorry, later and later and later until he just completely blew the turn. Even the last time he tried to pass him, when he was trying to pull speed up and keep up behind him to get him off the next corner, like the helicopter shot, you could see the suspension juddering on Marquez's bike as his tires were completely shot. You'd be like, you could look, you could see from like 200 feet up in the air, the camera shot, like his tires are fucked. He is on the limit. And he hasn't got it. Yeah. No, it was great. It was a, it was such a nail biter. I was convinced one of them was just gonna come off. I you know, I, I thought I thought best case scenario, maybe Marquez is gonna It was either Mike Marquez do one was of those gonna... save the slide moments again <laughs> and then fall two seconds. Well it was either or... Marquez was going to overtake him or Marquez was going to crash out. But the 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 one thing I wasn't expecting is that Marquez was going to keep it together and Bagnaya was going to win the race. And that's what happened. Yeah. It was it was nuts. Like it was a bru- it was it seems like oh well Bagnaya was in first, six laps to go, and well, I mean honestly like twenty laps to go. I guess essentially from the start of the race. And he won the race. Well, that must have been a boring race if the guy who started pole just won the race and never lost a place. But no. No. It, it was no. Well, it was uh, an, a ridiculous assault. And he held. Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, everything you need to know about these races really... Wasn't it anything that anybody said? in uh park Ferme, but the tone everybody took so bagnaya was just sort of you know flabbergasted that he did it yeah uh, but even more telling is this is the very first time i've seen marquez happy in second place well happy in like second genuinely the most genuine he's ever been it wasn't that fake plastic smile marquez there was a noticeable shift in his demeanor for this. And I well, have never been... liked Marquez as much. Well, it was kind of a, a little bit of a weird mix of emotions from him. Cause for one thing, like second place is really good for Marquez at this point. Yes. He won at, um, at Saxon ring, but you know, to pull off another result and kind of like put some proof out there that he still is a world-class rider after his injury is kind of a big confirmation for him, like a big affirmation that he's still like at that top level. But at the same time, he had so much respect for Bagnaya where he was like, yeah, I threw everything at him and 
yeah, he was faster today. Like, gave full recognition at the same time. Well, I yeah, I well, I think what it was is that Marquez behind Bagnai was doing things really only Marquez can do. Bagnai was just that good on that day, but Marquez, we haven't seen him do Marquez things this year. We haven't seen him For on the, the limit first and time. Stay on the bike. Marquez was touching what he's done in the past. Yeah. And I think I think for Marquez he just realized, "Oh, I can still go there." He realized I can still that he can get on the 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 knife edge can. of things that He far. realized that he can still dance on the head of a pin. Exactly. And he I think Marquez was just super stoked to know that okay, it didn't all come together this weekend, but I definitely still got it. Yeah. And that's super satisfying as a fan because now I know that Marquez is a real threat again. Yeah, and it's I, not going to happen this season for the title, but next year it's going to happen. There's right. going to be something there. Yeah, that's that's just super fun. So, okay, so we got that. Um, so Moto Two, we had another amazing performance. Raúl Fernandez, just unbelievably dominant. Um. I think for, uh, Fernandez led the whole race without anyone. No, 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 no. He didn't lead the whole race, did he? Did he? I can't remember. Uh, he was... If he uh, didn't lead the whole race, he almost led the entire race. It, he almost led the, the entire race, um, but uh, the race was so close, in the, and it was he ran it so well that essentially Remy Gardner blew one corner... And his uh, his chances of winning were completely out the door. Well, so apparent, so so um, so we had Raul. I think Raul. No, Raul took a. a, a no, yeah, Raul. So we had Lowe's Lose and Sam Lowe's and Raul out early, and they were battling with each other, and they just sort of left everyone else behind. They got three or four seconds ahead, something like that, and. Raul was Raul was just running amazing, and Lowe's couldn't keep pace, and Lowe's blew a corner like halfway through the race or something, and they were already untouchable, like I said, three, four seconds ahead, and then Raul just kept getting further and further ahead. I think he finished like six, seven, six point seven seconds in the lead, something uh, like that. Five point four. I think. Oh, he, I, I, think, I, think he, I think it. Yeah, he was six seconds ahead at one point, but he finished. Yeah, five point four was still amazing. And he just ran perfect. But what also made that is he just had hand surgery. Yeah. And on his throttle hand. So that's his front brake as well. And he was on painkillers and he'd been saying, well, I know I'm good for like eight laps. I think I imagine I'll be able to go 12 laps before it's a big problem. And then he went 23 laps and it was just, uh, he was saying like he lost those, those set, he lost like, you know, three quarters of a second per lap at the end, the last couple laps, because he just couldn't break anymore. Like, he, you know, like, thank God he'd built that cushion for himself. And he was just running a different race in like amazing pain and all of that sort of stuff. And it was, it just came together for him. Uh, conversely, Again, Simon Crafar came in with that kind of commentary that just no one else in the fucking world can give, talking about Remy Gardner 
everyone's going, oh, Remy's off his game. Even the commentators are like, what is this like mediocre performance from Remy Gardner here in like fifth place right now? And I know Remy ended up in third. No, it was second. Second, sorry. Uh, but because Sam Lowe's and someone else, cra- because people crashed out yeah. ahead of him. But um, uh, Simon was like, actually, he goes, Remy hates this track. He's not fast here. And he is managing a third position very well because this he, this isn't his day. Like, he should be back in seventh, eighth, you know. This is just not his jam. He doesn't like the conditions. He doesn't like the track. It doesn't line up with what he... It's just not his thing. Yeah, oddly, we like we don't know. Like, there isn't like enough of a public persona for the riders in Moto Two and Moto Three that nobody in those classes is allowed to have a bad track. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, in GP, we all know that uh, like some of the riders have favorite tracks, and some of them they're kind of like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Uh, but Again, like who would know? Who would be able to come in and 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 say that except Simon Crayfar? And again, just amazing world class point shitting, right? <laughs> yeah. Just, just ah, Remy Gardner's not doing so good. Uh, yeah, actually, guys, uh, he's managing this really amazingly well. So <laughs> go fuck yourselves. It is, <laughs> I I just love Simon. Just it's so subtle, but it is the best point shitting ever because he never does it. He never just comes out of the blue to point shit. They say something, and then he just like just puts his fingers in his ear and goes, "Actually, everything you're telling the public's completely fucking wrong." But but <laughs> the cheery voice, it, you know, it's always when Simon Crayfar says, "Actually," you know, come and go, uh, "Yeah, actually," and then you just know it's coming. You know. <laughs> <laughs> everything the commentators have just said is going to be completely invalidated and i live for it oh my god like like you know like, i imagine um the commentators sitting there with their with their headphones with the um like there's just a stack of boxes of headphones because Simon Crayfar comes on and shits on their points and they just grab their headsets by the microphone piece and just rip them off and break them like six times a race. <laughs> I mean, or there's, there's a lot of pencils snapped while Simon's yeah. talking. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so... I, I kind of, so again, uh, everything you need to know about this race happened in Park Fermi. So when Raul Fernandez had his last win, it was like, oh, this one was for all the haters that said I would never win again and everything. <laughs> Weirdly, he just got like super calm and super humble on this one, which I didn't expect either. Maybe he was just sort of out of his mind on painkillers or something. I don't know. Or it just all felt like such a dream. It didn't occur to him to be a dick about it or whatever it was. But. I, He's def- he definitely was a lot more mellow this time. And he was a lot more appreciative of, of the results. I, I think maybe someone had a talk with him. Oh my God, there's a fucking train going by. Uh, uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, I think someone had a talk with him about his talk about the haters and everything. And they're like, listen, we're giving you a factory seat, but you may need to slow your roll on some of this. 
I I think that conversation must have happened, which is which is fantastic. I think it'd be more fun if it turned out that it was Jack Miller. It's like, look, I've made these mistakes before. <laughs> <laughs> Just chill out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um and Moto three wasn't super. Uh, Moto three was okay, but it wasn't super duper eventful. Again, um, yes, it was. Uh, it was very eventful. What am I missing? Uh, how about Pedro Acosta's first crash? Well, uh, the, again, I was about to say, like the most eventful thing about this race for me is that. Yeah, Pedro Costa still has this lead. He's still probably pretty safe for the championship, but he has been fading. We, we still think of this as Pedro's year, this breakout star. And yeah, he's had five wins You know, as a, as a rookie. I mean, that's still amazing. That's still, you can't take anything away from him, no matter what happens. If he crashes out every race for the rest of the season, it's still an impressive, amazing rookie year. But he's not bulletproof anymore. Well, it it's interesting in that the the season started off and it seemed like it was like a, a Danny Kent year or a um or a Brad Bender year or like even a Marquez year of just here's yeah. just somebody who's gonna be utterly dominant yeah, in this Jack class. Miller, Marquez, yeah. In this class where it's impossible to pull away. And we've had some more exciting Moto3 years, you know, particularly two years ago, uh, Jorge Martin versus Betsecki as like, I loved that as the most like punishing knife edge Moto3 season, like of the modern era. With a little Jakob Korn felt (laughs) for good for flavor. But now it seems like uh, between him and Garcia, it's now more like a Martin Betzeki year. But it's just it just took a little while for the resolution for it all to resolve into this tension. And now you know he's you know. Um, well, it's also he still has easy. he still has a commanding lead, but it's not. It's now it's now coming back into competitiveness. He's only gonna wipe out one race with with uh with Garcia winning a race and it's and it's on. We're we're into like the weird math math rounds of yeah. MotoGP where like the most sometimes the best parts of the race is the constantly changing live championship points count. Because, we are getting to that resolution now. Well, it's. Well, I think what it gives you as as the, as the math starts really tightening up is okay. You've every every race starts. You've got your favorite rider that you want to win. Okay, five laps comes in, and maybe that guy's crashed out, or he's buried in twelfth place, or whatever's happening. And you're like, okay, and you start bargaining with yourself. You're like, well, okay, so here's the points leader. Oh, but he's back and forth. Oh, and second place is leading now. Oh, okay. Because you want it to stay tight, right? So you find yourself right. more invested 
in in guys that you were previously not so invested in because you just want it to stay interesting. Or maybe you just want to keep the same guy running away with wins because it's exciting. But it adds these are these are the rounds that really add to that. And we've still got what five races left? Uh including um I think there's five. Let me see here. Uh, the schedule's so weird this year. There's four or five left uh, af- after Aragon. So, including this weekend that we're recording, we're not, re- you know, releasing it until after. Yeah, we got five year. races left. Right. So, the, well, currently, who knows? I mean, but all of these championships have tightened up a little bit over the last couple of weeks. We were thinking there were some big point leads that a lot of this was going to stay open until who knows when. Yeah, Acosta but, seemed unassailable. I but I with, could see all three of these championships going down to the last race. I mean, well, the math still supports that. Like we we have had the last seasons three or four rounds. I don't like no one's I mean, gained points in the championship. Like we have had Marquez win seasons with four races to go. Like that's happened. Oh yeah. But that that is not happening this year. I, it makes me think like shit. Like, do we need to make last minute plans to go to Coda? <laughs> it might be really good. And it's what, is it the second to last round? Uh Coda is no, it's the fourth to last. Oh, okay. So yeah. nothing's gonna get so. Oh uh, uh, yeah, but also like we only got like an email from the uh uh i don't know what the word is like the concierge like agent yeah. guy who that we always go through like a week ago about coda it's like like who who can have the time off like on short notice like who changes yeah. their plans that quickly uh, like i understand like he's in a He's in a tough spot, but like Coda yeah. was announced really late. It's true to sell tickets. I think that's going to well, be what's in what three weeks. Yeah, I'm actually kind of worried about it because I f- I'm worried that people aren't going that the people who make the decisions aren't going to realize that like getting to Coda for most of the Americans who are going to go to Coda is kind of an ordeal. And a lot of time off, and that like people have to fly from America to America to get to Coda. Yeah. And <laughs> they're not going to realize that like low turnout this year means that Coda isn't popular. Yeah, unless you're driving there from Houston, it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like it's it it's in one of those corners of America that it's just really fucking hard to get to. Yeah, like we drive a thousand miles to get to Coda. We're also yeah, like almost exactly a thousand miles. Yeah, and Austin and and Denver are both pretty much in the middle of the country. Like it's tough, and most people live on the coasts. So, like, if you've got like five six weeks to plan out your your vacation that 
hopefully, you know, because you didn't think the race was going to happen this year. Like, I, I'm worried that because this is a this is a common theme. Every time somebody from Europe comes over to America, they're like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna go from coast to coast and just see America." It's like, "How much time have you planned?" Oh, two weeks. It's like, "Nope, that's not gonna work." <laughs> like, people don't realize that like Denver to Washington, which is like half the country, is like London to Moscow. Yeah, well, but I, I'm I'm worried about the fact that. Because I think that the the turnout at Coda is going to be really low this year, that the FIM and Dorna are going to interpret it as, oh, popularity at Coda is waning, and maybe we don't need to have this track anymore. I don't think that'll happen. I, I, no, that's not going to happen. But do you have two beers left in that box by chance? I do. Okay. Alright, I've got a closing thought here. So, my closing thought is if you haven't really been up on GP this year, this is a perfect year to start. If if you if you really you know have been kind of only just heard what we've talked about on the show and you don't really remember some of the highlights of the commentary that we've given on it or whatever, this would be a great time to buy the video pass at half price, probably. So 60 bucks, 70 bucks at most. And just start watching, watching it through because this has been a really good year. Honestly, there's been some great races and there's been good stories. There's been breakout performances. There's been redemptions. There's been heartbreaks. There's been a lot of good stuff. A lot of great racing. This is a good year for to, to start. Because we got some stars that are emerging and starting to rise. Right? This is this there's a lot of new storylines coming out this year. Right? And it's Rossi's last year, so there's a lot of retirement happening as well. This is a good place to start. If if they had none of the rules apply, like all the trends are completely trashed by the last two seasons. Right. Well, do you remember that documentary that you and McGregor did, uh, Faster? Yeah. That that was sort of one of those years that was just a great place to start. Right. You know, all the way up through the last one that was hitting the apex, right? But hitting the apex wasn't really a great time, like a great year necessarily to start watching. I mean, every year is a great year to start watching MotoGP, but this year especially, I think is a really good one. You're not missing out on anything. There's kind of just been a big reset on everything. Yeah. And... Every bike is good. That you don't have to know a whole lot about the teams and historically what they're good at or anything, because the the playing field has just got super level, and a whole bunch of new talent and a whole bunch of new everything. And there you go. So if if you've kind of like sat through some of this with your eyes going a little blank, like okay, I don't really know what you guys are talking about. This is a great year, a great time, just. Just, hey, 
just don't listen to any more commentary that we do for the rest of the year. Just catch up on the races. Just watch just the GP races. And then if you want to go back through the year and do Moto2 and Moto3 as well and, and all that stuff. But some bonkers things have happened this year, which is always a sign of a great, a great season. I mean, we had a wardrobe malfunction this season, right? Yeah. We had... <laughs> <laughs> we've had with championship uh, implications with championship implications I, we've had some weird stuff happen um uh we I, but that's gp right you know um uh, motorcycle racing really supplies these bizarre incidents like the like the fanati brake grab or the Sepang <laughs> clash or the, the uh, you know, things, spectacle and weirdness and oddity that other kinds of racing just don't supply. And I, I'm super into it. And this year, uh, as much as any, I've been really enjoying this. And I encourage anyone. We've had people crash on warm-up laps. Yeah. <laughs> It's a really odd year, but odd years are great. We, but also, aren't we up to eight winners this year? I have no idea. That I think we're up right. to eight winners this year. That's really great as well. It's not like it was, was it two or three years ago when we had... We were like nine. I was like three years ago, I want to say. I think. It was just almost like everyone was all the factory riders were taking turns winning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Davizioso was the last like person to win a race in the year. Yeah, what he did, it was like, well, I finally did it. You know, just very right. matter of fact. And I think he was in second place in the championship at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So uh I I think I think this is a good place to to leave to leave this episode. Um, and, and for anyone that's still listening and listens to our podcast and, oh crap, you've definitely fucked something up. For anyone that listens to this podcast and also listens to creative writing, I just have a little, a little snippet for you. So if you listen to creative writing's last podcast, uh, Junkie had uh, a few criticisms of of things that we said. Although I think if you go back and listen to our show again, and then listen to his criticisms, none of it really holds water. <laughs> I think he's just trolling us at this point. So you know, uh, 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 I'll, I'll take the, his corrections and omissions of us with a grain of salt, and also let you know that. Um, the, if you want to listen to his criticisms of our praise of a couple Harley Davidsons over the last few weeks, this is also from the mind that brings you such great technical advice as this. Oh, come on. Um, and, and, and a lot of people were getting in a battle about, oh, our chains don't actually stretch, you know, and I guess... Maybe they do. Maybe the, maybe the, maybe metallic, you know, molecularly the metal doesn't stretch and get any longer. But I guess the uh, where the pins and everything connect wears out, similar to the cartilage in your knee cap going out, and all of a sudden you have bone grinding on bone, and your leg can wiggle around a little bit instead of being, you know, solid right there at the knee joint. I guess that's how chains work. Yeah, that's that makes sense.
Yeah, nailed it, junkie. <laughs> That's how chains work. Okay, so <laughs> um, with that, let's let's just let's just end this one. All right, so let's remind yep. everyone to um, stay safe, stay tuned, keep fighting the dragon, and trade your smartphone for an iPod and a dumb phone. All right, let's do the outro. Oh, which means I have to reopen this thing. Oh my gosh, technology is not with me. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Gold.